Morning. Happy Sabbath. We are again delighted and we almost always are delighted because we get to share some time with you and whether that be in person or whether that be you coming up to either Joey or myself here in our community at Loma Linda we encourage you to do so or whether you are watching in some place of our country or the world we just want to tell you as Time progresses and we develop these closer knitted relationships. We want to be here for you. So send us your emails, send us your comments, continue the conversation. You are the brave few that have decided to tune in today because now you know we're talking about tithing and stewardship uh, this quarter. So we're going to look at it as we did before from some different perspectives, but before we do that, Let's go ahead and pause for a word of prayer. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your companionship. We pray that as we converse, that you be a part of our dialogue and that you provide us a path forward as we continue to ask the question about how to steward the things that you have so gracefully provided. And we pray we, you stay with us, and we pray in your name. Amen. Joey O, how was your week? Mm, it was good. It's, it was nice to enjoy the first week of the year together. Mm. Um, yeah. 2023, I hope, will be... Um, a continuation of good things um, for the next year. How about you? Good things. Only good things. <laughs> Only good things. It's been it's been a good week. Yeah. I think it's you get into the rhythm, right? And so it weeks start to be uneventful after the crush of the holidays, and uneventful is good in the season of life. So yeah, good week. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about stewardship, Joey, and about covenants. Yeah. I. To be honest, when I read the title of this week's lesson, I was a bit befuddled as to what path we were going to take or the authors of the quarterly were going to take because covenant and stewardship is not something that we typically connect. Mm. And yet I found that they did an exceptional job at weaving some connections between this idea of uh, covenants and how covenants typically are initiated by God. And some of them don't require a response, but others uh, invite for a partnership. So I thought, that was, I thought that was an important nuance that we often don't talk about when we look at, at this idea of covenants. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the first, first um week's lesson was about the family of God and responsibility as family of God. Now they're approaching it from uh, the, the writer of 
the the quarterly is is approaching it from the perspective of relationship contracts and covenants mm -hmm. and and all of that that's so different dynamics different ways of approaching a similar topic mm -hmm. but that was very interesting because it does lend a a different flair to this conversation about stewardship when you talk about whether you think of yourself as part of God's family or approaching it more as a contractual way mm -hmm. and that does lend to a different perspective that that's brought in yeah, I thought I thought what was really important, and I'll be honest, when I saw the title, I, I not only was I befuddled, I was a bit apprehensive, because we've shared uh, at this table quite a bit the idea that covenants are the ultimate expression of God's grace, yeah. and if that's how we understand it, then to think that a covenant requires a response uh, probably uh, would would if not create some methodological problems, it certainly would uh, force us to ask some questions. Mm. But what I, what I really appreciated was the fact that I think a clear distinction was made between covenants that are by nature salvific, in mm. other words, God, God's ultimate desire to call us His children mm. and how that is initiated and completed by God, and then kind of these contractual covenants, which um, invite us to respond. And maybe I think the nuance uh, is that the function and the form of both these uh, covenants that you find particularly in the Old Testament is differentiated. There are some that do not necessitate a response. And you can see those as pertaining to your ultimate salvation. And then there are some that invite uh, collaboration. And maybe you can see that, that in term of other people's salvation. In other words, when Abraham gets called out of uh, Ur of the Chaldees, it, it, that call requires a response, but the response isn't to address Abraham's position and relationship to God. Rather, it is to invite Abraham to collaborate with God in this, in this act of salvation that Yahweh has in mind. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because um, this language that we use for covenant, um, the, the term covenant that we use can be confusing to people because how most Christians use that term now, covenant, it has to do with how God approaches covenant, right? And so we talk about covenantal relationships that even Pastor Randy during his series on, on family and relationships talked about the difference between contractual relationships and covenantal mm -hmm. relationships, saying that covenantal relationships put the priority on the preservation of the relationship mm -hmm. more than specific stipulations, whereas contractual relationships are all about what can you do for me, right? And as long as you do something positive for me, I'm willing to keep this relationship. Once that ends, then I'm cutting you out, right? That's that's the contract that we have with like our plumbers or with um, our um, different vendors that we work with, right? We have those contracts. But that's a different relationship than we have with our family members, mm -hmm. right? I don't cut out my children just because sometimes 
it's a lot more one-sided than I would, I would want at times. Um, but that doesn't mean that the relationship ends because the relationship, the preservation of that relationship is, is more important. So that's how we've always, uh, that's how um, Christians have typically used that word covenant because that's the way God approaches covenant, mm-hmm. covenantal relationships with us. That he is, he is, he does ask things of us, but grace rules the covenant. And he always makes a way back for mm-hmm. people, even if the stipulations of the covenant are broken. There's always room for us to come back with grace, and we find that throughout Scripture. And so, and yet, that that term that's used in Scripture um, was also commonly used in in their secular society to t- talk about just regular contractual relationships. Mm-hmm. So that's where this term can get a little bit confusing because um, they because the Bible has as often it, as it does, the writers of scripture have taken the, uh, a term that was used more widely and given it a specific meaning in the context of our relationship with mm-hmm. God. And that's how we use it now. But it does describe, I mean, the word, if we're just going to be faithful to the, the meaning of the word itself, it can describe relationships where it's just very transactional, mm-hmm. right? Um, and yet that's not the way God approaches covenant with mm-hmm. us. So that's an important distinction to make. Yes, and I think, Joey, the reason why we uh, are so comfortable with that conversation is there's a, there's a wonderful book written um, and ideas uh, espoused by Alden Thompson, who's a fa- phenomenal theologian and professor up at uh, Walla Walla. And he actually has done some really minute study on the difference between covenant and contract. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, it, it, that difference was important, particularly when we thought that the covenants that God establishes with us demand a, demand a response. But I do think one of the problems with that language is that it, it did kind of place this idea of contractual relationships in a negative light. Mm-hmm. Like we use terms like it's transactional. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the purpose, as you said, the purpose of the relationship is what can you do for me? Mm-hmm. And that does create uh, an air of negativity surrounded the, surrounding the language itself. So what, as I was studying this week, I, uh, some terminology came to my idea that perhaps might be more useful in keeping both with this differentiation, but also with scripture. Because in Exodus 19, what God establishes with the people is a covenant. It's mm-hmm. a Mosaic covenant. Mm-hmm. But it's a Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant does demand response. Mm-hmm. It says, if you obey my statutes and keep my commandments, though the whole earth is mine, I will make of you. And God then uh, defines Israel in three primary ways, right? Mm-hmm. Priestly kingdom, holy nations, chosen people. So that is a covenant, and it's a covenant that requires and necessitates response, whereas uh, the covenant made with Noah and the covenant uh, that is made uh, with the, through the prophets, that one doesn't require response. So what I would like to propose, and tell me how this, how this works, and then we're going to hop into Malachi and see how, how this uh, actually is lived out, is I think there's two types of covenants in Scripture. I think the second type, the one that occurs in Exodus and the one that we'll talk about in Malachi, 
is what I like to call a missiological covenant. And that simply, that word simply missiological comes from our, our study of missions and our understanding of missions. So that's one type of covenant, the missiological covenant. It's an inv invitation for God that God extends to human beings so that we can fulfill our purpose, which is uh, to share the type of God that we serve. Mm. Then there's the soteriological type of covenant, a covenant that has to do with our salvation. Mm. And that one always, always is unilateral. It's initiated and completed by God. And so I think that distinction is, is, is important. The, the purpose of Abraham, of the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant was not to save the people. The people mm. were already saved. Abraham was already saved. It was that uh, in Abraham's case, that Israel would become a blessing to all nations. And in uh, Moses' case, it was that the Israelites became co-participants in the work of intercession with Yahweh. Uh, that was the per So in those two senses, it mm -hmm. was much more mission and other people oriented, whereas the covenant made with Noah and then the covenant that is ultimately made manifest in Jesus uh, those are me-centered covenants, mm -hmm. and they have to do with my individual relationship with God. Hmm. I, I like how you divide those um, different types of covenants and um, using the terminology that, that the author of the lesson introduces, this idea of unilateral and bilateral mm -hmm. covenants, covenants that require a response and promises that God makes sometimes that do not require a response, mm -hmm. right? God promises Noah, like you said, that he's not going to destroy the whole world with a worldwide flood. Um, although sometimes as it's rained here yeah, in California, yeah. it's felt yeah, yeah, like yeah. a deluge coming down. But God, God is, has promised that. And that's regardless of what humans do. He, he has said, I'm going to do that. Right. So that is very unilateral. Um, now, the pushback that um, between what you said and, and what the. Um, what the lesson talks about and that that people always bring up when it comes to salvation is well doesn't salvation re require a response right if is it is it truly unilateral that god offers this to us or is it is there is there a response and then if there is a response does that not mean that we're working mm -hmm. for for salvation mm -hmm. and that we're earning salvation so how do we just briefly because i know that could be a very long discussion but just briefly, how does that, and then how does that fit with, um, how does that connect, or does it connect at all to the missiological covenants um, and the covenant of, of, for example, tithing? Like, is tithing at all connected to salvation response at mm. all? Um, so how would you, how would you yeah. disconnect all those that things is, That is, that is really the, <laughs> thank you for that. That is uh, <laughs> That is a beehive. Um, no, I think Paul does it really well. Mm. I think Paul, the purpose, obviously you cannot encounter the experience of grace without being transformed. Mm -hmm. Grace, if, if we believe that grace is what we say it is, then grace has to be transformational. The problem is Paul says that even our capacity to quote unquote respond or to be transformed is, is not something that we do. Paul makes it very clear that this capacity to respond to God's gift of grace, mm. the capacity to be transformed, is something that the Spirit does in us. Yeah. And so 
when we're saying it's unilateral, we truly mean it's unilateral mm-hmm. because God initiates it and then God instills within us the capacity to respond. Mm-hmm. So all that we're doing is simply allowing uh, and recognizing what God is already uh, doing in our lives. Once that transformation that is spirit-led and spirit-driven occurs, then we begin to, then we have some decisions to make. And it can only be like that. I mean, tithing can, a true tithing, if, if, if we want to just focus and laser in on tithing, true tithing that is completely devoid of any agenda. Mm. In other words, I'm not doing it out of guilt. Mm. I'm not doing it because I want to buy my way into heaven. I'm not doing it because I want to please God. Um, true tithing that is devoid of any agenda is truly, truly something that it, that has to occur after the Spirit has done the work of transformation. Mm-hmm. Because when we share our resources, whatever, when we invest our resources, the typical premise behind that, right, is I'm investing my resources so that I may dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. That's how everything works. And what we're saying is, you invest your resources, not because you have any agenda, but because that's the natural next step of a life that has been transformed by the Spirit. Mm, I love, uh, Miguel, that's a masterful way of navigating this very difficult question that I tossed to you. I love that, that, um, that all of these things, yes, there is a response. The response is something that grows out of the work that God is doing within mm. us. So yes, there is a response that happens with salvation, but it only happens because God is doing that work within us, not because we're doing that work ourselves to try to prove we've either been saved or that to try to um, earn the salvation Mm -hmm. itself. That one comes because of God working in us. And it really, the response for us then is just allowing God to do the work Mm -hmm. within us saying, God, change us, put ourselves in positions where he can transform us. And when that happens, then all of these other things that are talked about in Proverbs, I loved how how the lesson talked about Proverbs and how Proverbs are very, those are very bilateral covenants, mm-hmm. right? Um, but bilateral covenants that don't always don't always work exactly the mm-hmm. way that they say, right? Proverbs are just good things to follow Mm -hmm. that work most of the time, but it doesn't always work that Mm -hmm. way. Just because you are faithful to God doesn't mean that you're gonna have an abundance of riches, Mm -hmm. right? That doesn't always work that way. So, but but those kinds of things happen, um, are are more easily happening because of what God is doing within us. And I love that, I love how you framed it. That I think, and now you're, you're talking about Proverbs, and I think it's important to understand that the wisdom that the Proverbs uh, impart is a wisdom that only comes after you have been transformed. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that is because you are absolutely right. Proverbial wisdom is not a foolproof methodology to live life. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not gonna work out. Now let's understand what Proverbs is. And I love the fact that the lesson did make this differentiation, which I think is, is really important as we read wisdom literature. The issue isn't good versus bad. The issue is wise decisions versus unwise decisions. Mm -hmm. 
And the way we've gotten to this kind of formulaic understanding of what, what, what constitutes a wise decision is because we've spent time in observation. Mm -hmm. Proverbs is nothing more than the collection of wisdom of a people that has spent time observing and saying, you know, if you live life this particular way, mm -hmm you're going to probably have, have a better life. Much in the same way that modern medicine through observation has told us, hey, if you don't smoke, if you have a healthy diet, if you exercise regularly, you probably are going to have a fuller life. Now, is that foolproof? No. Absolutely not, right? You, we, we hear story after story of these moments and these instances when somebody has a heart attack or lung cancer and you can't understand why this is happening it's just the way it's just the way it is now if if this proverbial wisdom isn't proceeding by by the transformation that you and I are talking about then what's going to happen is in those moments when the end result doesn't match the method and the pathway that we think uh, we ought to get from that, uh, we're gonna get upset. Mm. We're gonna get discouraged. Our faith is gonna start faltering. Mm. We're gonna get angry. Um, and so I think it's important to realize that yes, these things work, except when they don't. <laughs> and so you need it, it all needs to be preceded by this understanding that the spirit has already done its work in me and I'm going to try to live my life in a particular way because it's common wisdom to do so not because it's going to get me into heaven yeah I love how you said that that a lot that sometimes our crisis of faith come because we're we have incorrect expectations mm -hmm. of what these things are like will say, God, you know, I did everything right. Like I ate healthy food, I exercised, I was, I, you know, I took the Sabbath, I rested. Why do I have this disease? Why am I ill? Why? And it, it's because we, we think, oh, when we do these things, then God will bless us with this. Mm -hmm. And it's very transactional, mm -hmm. right? That, that term. But what, but what God is not, God is not saying that it's going to be A always equals B. He's saying, when in Proverbs, it's it's a collection. I love how you said that. A collection of the wisdom of a community who has been observing life and saying this this works a lot of the time, and so this is the best way to live. But that doesn't always mean that doesn't promise that it's going to always turn out that way. And actually, um, our our salvation, our ultimate destiny, is not dependent on those mm -hmm. things at all. They're just wise ways to live, but ultimately our salvation is not a transactional um, equation. And, and that's not to rest away merit from the book of Proverbs. Yeah. Uh, we need to understand what it's there for. Yeah. It's, a it's a missiological covenant. Yeah. It's if you go and you share with people the, these, if you share these principles, and that's actually how the book begins, right? Um, it's uh, the writer saying, hey, I want to share with you all that I've learned from observing life. And so the purpose of that is saying, if as a people of God, you go and you share this with others, probably 
you're going to, in most cases, improve people's lives. Mm. In the same way that it, it's the ethical responsibility of a medical provider to say, hey, you know what, the study just came out and it said that uh, diet high in sodium, for example, mm. is probably bad for your hypertension. Yeah. Um, that's your ethical responsibility because this is what we found out mm -hmm. and it's important to share it. But that hasn't, that's, that's not soteriological. Mm -hmm. That has nothing to do, as you said, with your salvation. And so there are these, these important distinctions that we make, even within Scripture. And I think that's why when we're, when we're reading and when we're approaching Scripture in any uh, topic within the Bible, we need to understand that not every single one of the 66 mm -hmm. books and however many verses and words you find, they're not all created equal. Mm -hmm. There is a hierarchy within Scripture. And for example, in, in that hierarchy, John 3.16 has a larger place of prominence than the book of Proverbs. Mm -hmm. Because John 3.16 is about salvation, and Proverbs is about our mission to our fellow human beings. Wow. And, and we see that kind of prioritization throughout um, the New Testament. Mm. Paul Paul does that yeah. quite a bit. Um, in in one of my in my other Sabbath school, we've been discussing uh, Romans chapter fourteen, mm. and in Romans chapter fourteen, Paul seems to be saying that there are some issues, there are more uh, differences mm -hmm. of opinions, and that that shouldn't get away mm -hmm. in the way of peace between brothers and also. Um, mutual edification, right? So mutual edification, he seems, is more important to Paul than whether they eat, uh, they avoid meat, right? Mm -hmm. In that in that passage, um, and so that kind of um, difference, he does seem to have a prioritization between the things that are important and the things that are less important. So then, I guess the question is, the the covenant that we found find in Malachi 3, is that a soteriological covenant? Is that a missiological covenant? And how important is it? Yeah, so I think the answer already, you and I could, could give it, and our friends, and we would uh, probably save you the 24 minutes of discussion that we have left. Because it's obvious, right, that Malachi is talking not about your ultimate salvation, um, but it's in scripture. Mm -hmm. And so it is important. What I'd like to do is uh, just go through it very quickly with you. And then maybe we can see some of the things that God is trying to tell his people. But before I do that, and I, I really, you know, Joey, us, us preachers, we hate, we hate uh, to talk about money. <laughs> um, and I, I think it's because we've seen so often in not only churches, but in other ministries, um, the, the idea of finances being leveraged uh, in order to, to make some guarantees of, about life that we simply cannot make. Mm. So I, I think, rightly so, we've, we've developed a pretty healthy, uh, maybe, maybe the right word is a healthy care towards talk, towards uh, the words we use when we talk about issues of stewardship. Mm. But the truth of the matter is, it's in Scripture. Mm. And so while we, while we want to approach the, this particular topic very delicately, 
uh, we have to we have to actually broach it. So I guess the preamble I, I would give before we jump into the text is this. If you haven't understood the gospel, please close Malachi 3 and go to John chapter 1 through 3. Close it. Uh, let the words uh, in that beautiful uh, gospel uh, bathe over you. Meditate upon them. Let them become a part of your inner being. And then after that has become a reality, then you can come back to Malachi mm -hmm. 3. Uh, but if you've already understood the gospel, if you are celebrating the freedom that grace brings, then uh, we, can, we can delve into the text. Yeah, I love how you said that. Yeah, first things first, right? This is not where you start in your relationship with God, right? It's when you've already been a part of, of God's family. And that, that's what I love about how um, the lesson built this. Um, the first lesson was about that we are part of the family of God, right? And so that's where it starts. It's a privilege as the family of God. And also that gives us a wider, broader perspective of what stewardship is, right? Stewardship is not just tithing. I know sometimes that those terms have become synonymous, mm -hmm. but stewardship is actually about our our privilege and responsibility as as members of the family of God. It's what started all the way back in Eden, which again, I love from the last lesson. Mm -hmm. It started all the way back in Eden to care for the whole world. And as a part of that, one one piece of that is this aspect of tithing. Mm -hmm. But it really is is a it's a broader perspective than just giving 10% of our Absolutely. income to God. So I I love the perspective that you're bringing, the approach that you're bringing. First things first, we're part of the family of God. We've received his grace. That's the most important. And then we can talk a little bit about tithing. And then we can talk about tithing, Joey. So I wanna, I'm going to read uh, these six verses. And just I want to get some, just without commentary, without uh, delving too much into the original language, just some initial gut reactions out of you, okay? So right. uh, let's let's transport ourselves to the book of Malachi. We're going to start in uh, chapter 3, and we're going to go verses 6 through 12. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from me, from my decrees, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere, a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Mm. Wow. So the first thing that I, that pops out to me is the way that it is formulated, mm. this, this is written, does resonate very 
um, strongly with how Proverbs is written, mm -hmm. right? You do this and then this will happen. But obviously this, because you do this, doesn't mean that this will always mm -hmm. happen, right? So it does seem to be more of that category of accepted wisdom. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing that I see here. Uh, the second thing I see here is that when you look at the context of this passage, I mean, he's talking, it's not just tithe, right? Mm -hmm. He's he's talked before this about, um, I will be quick, uh, verse 5, I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defrauded laborers of their wages, who oppressed the widow and the fatherless, deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me. So it is in the context of them not um, following any of God's um, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, guidelines for or rules or commandments for their lives, right? Especially in caring, mm. this idea of caring, again, mm. stewardship, that stewardship is broader than just money, right? Mm -hmm. Caring for those who are around us, right, is that context. And I love that term of those who, who do not fear me because that's the third thing that I see. It's repeated throughout the context, mm -hmm. especially in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard, right? So it is this, the tithing um, comment is in the context of trust, mm. right? Trust in God. So trusting in God is at the, at the core of, of tithe. So those are the three observations. Wow. Yeah, those are, those are powerful. And I love the fact that you're talking about the context because it's so important to kind of track with the argument that Malachi is trying to make. And so we, uh, it, it's really interesting how he starts building uh, this, this argument because first he starts with God. Mm -hmm. How do we view God? And he talks at the outset of the, uh, the reality that Israel is doubts what God feels for them at a, at a basic level. Mm -hmm. Israel doesn't know that God loves them. And because he doesn't, it, because she doesn't know that God loves them, they've turned around and they've offered whatever, mm. right? If Israel has a clear understanding of God's love, mm. then the sacrifices that Israel would bring would, would not be the blemished and the, and the unwanted. Mm. Malachi isn't talking about giving the only thing that we have and how God says, you need to give me the best uh, and, and suffer privation. Malachi is talking about a society that has commodified God in such a way that it, where the relationship has been so transactional mm -hmm. that Israel is just giving whatever in order to meet the requirements that the relationship demands. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like in a mm -hmm. marriage where you really doubt that your partner is feeling the same level of love for you. And so you go... On, on a date night, wherever, you don't really put much thought into it. You're just trying to fill the requirement that you that you think you have to have. Yeah. So that's where it starts. It starts at this basic place of you don't understand who God is. Mm. And because you don't understand who God is, your relationship with God is suffering. Mm. He then moves to the reality that if your relationship with God is suffering, then your religious life begins to break down. These rituals 
and the ceremonies and services that we have created actually have lost their meaning. Mm -hmm. And they've lost their meaning not because there's anything inherently wrong with rituals, but because a ritual that is done, again, just to fill mm -hmm. what, you feel, what you feel is required, is not really helpful in deepening and broader, broadening your relationship with God. Then he moves not only into our religious life, but, on, but into our relational life, right? Mm -hmm. So it starts with, you don't understand who God is. Therefore, you've tried to commodify God. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the religious rites and rituals that you perform actually are devoid of any meaning. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the relationships you have with others start to mirror the relationship that you have with God, which is transactional. I'm just going to do this to fill my, yeah. my quota. And so you're oppressive mm -hmm. and you're unjust and you're unfair. Mm -hmm. And once you've understand, understood all of this, then we move into tithing. Mm -hmm. um, and even in that, Malachi hedges, doesn't he, as you mm -hmm. mentioned. He starts again by pointing us to who God is. I, the Lord, do not change. Mm -hmm. The descendants of Jacob, you, after you've done all this stuff, you haven't understood me, you've commodified our relationship, you have a bunch of rituals that are devoid of any meaning, and you've, uh, trans you've, be you've made every relationship you have with other people transactional. Mm -hmm. Even with all of that, I don't change. Yeah. You are still here, and that's the proof that I don't change. And what, he, what, what I love about uh, this passage, and I think, by the way, our preacher and pastor friends who are watching, I think if you're going to preach on this particular issue of stewardship, because let's face it, this is our favorite passage uh, for stewardship sermons. If you're going to preach on that, you need to start with verse 6. Mm. Verse 6 says, I don't change. Mm. That's why you're here. Mm -hmm. Because I remain faithful. And what God is trying to do, what Yahweh is trying to do through the lips of the prophet is exhort people into the type of transformation that we started mm -hmm. talking about. And once that occurs, then all these questions be become answered. And these questions and these conversations, as you mentioned, uh, are the result of those who fear the Lord gathering together and say, oh, we've got, we get it. We understand how far we've fallen mm -hmm. and how faithful God is. And so now we're going to try to respond. Yeah, I love that. I love how God always begins these sections where he's challenging his people to step in with his own faithfulness, right? God, God is faithful mm -hmm. first before he challenges us to be faithful, which is, which is so powerful. He does that in the Ten Commandments, right? He does that here, right? The I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Mm. Because I don't change, you're here. I like how you said that. Um, so that, that faithfulness of God undergirds it, and it's, it is, like you said, it's like God is trying to show, I am trustworthy. That's why he says, test me in this, mm. right? Just try me out in this. You can trust me. I am a God, and, and yet, and I love the illustration you brought about marriage because a lot of what marriage comedies are based on that concept of both parties trying to do the bare minimum, mm -hmm. right? 
and trying to get away with doing the bear, the, the, the husband, like trying to manipulate the situation so that they can get out of um, being at some kind of obligation so they can do what they really want to do, right? It's all yeah. about both trying to one-up each other on trying to do the bare minimum. And it's funny to watch but it's very unhealthy in the context mm -hmm. of a real relationship, Absolutely. right? Like when you get to the place where you're just trying to do the bare minimum and you're always trying to watch out for number one, that's very destructive to a relationship. And that's, like you said, is it seems like where Israel has gotten. They're like, what is the least that we can do in this relationship with God and still still be being and still be seen as being faithful? Mm -hmm. And and yet. If we ever get to that that point in the relationship, we know a lot of trust has broken down, yeah. which is God, mm. why God is saying, let's let's do a reset here. Let's re reestablish what this relationship is about. It's not about you trying to earn your way into this relationship. I'm not asking you to do these things so that you can deserve. I've already been faithful to you. You are already you've already been saved. Now let's talk mm. about how can we make this relationship thrive. Mm. And, and in the context of that, that's where he talks about mm. the tithing as an act of trust that we give to God. Oh, beautifully said. And so when that happens, mm. even the type of tithing that occurs mm. is different. Yeah. So now let's get into the real crux, which is the, the verse we always read when we're doing a tortured sermon. Bring, verse 10, mm -hmm. the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So here's what we, the way we typically read it. Bring your money to church because it's important to run the programs that church has. And while I don't want to dismiss that, that's not what Malachi 3.10 is about. Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of maybe talk a little bit about how this would have been heard, if that's okay. This word storehouse is really important. Mm -hmm. And it's really important because it's connected to the temple services, particularly the temple services during the monarchy. Mm -hmm. So during Solomon's reign. Now, during Solomon's reign, something really interesting happens. The whole dynamic of how our relation, Israel's relationship with government entities and with God shifts. And so whereas Israel had been called out to be unlike every other nation, um, during Solomon's reign, that prophecy that Samuel makes comes true. Israel becomes like every other nation. And so Solomon uh, conscripts about 30,000 Jews to build storehouses. Mm -hmm to store food. And the, the book of Kings is really interesting because it says, and Solomon built storehouses and uh, built his house. Mm -hmm. And the word that is used uh, to describe this, how Solomon leverages the people to work is the same word that is used to describe how Pharaoh leverages Israel to work mm -hmm. during the Exodus. And so you have kind of this idea of abuse and oppression occurring that the storehouses that Solomon's building is to feed his house mm -hmm. and that the house that Solomon has is to is uh, to continue extolling his position as king. Wow. And Malachi then, after all that we know happens because of the failure of Solomon and the breaking up of the kingdom 
and the breaking up of the kingdom that forces the north to start worshiping in ways that are not healthy. All of that is fresh in the minds of, uh, or at least the subconscious of, of the Jewish people. And Malachi uses that same language and says, hmm, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Whose storehouse? My storehouse. So that there is food in my house. Now, we t typically, this is read as what God is talking about is the showbread and all the other food that was used for the, for the religious services. But that's not what he's talking about. Mm. He's talking about the difference between how Solomon amassed wealth and built granaries and kept all the grain mm. and how God does things, how God... Oh, <laughs> And I love it because then he talk, he, he opens up and says, and I will do what? Mm. I will open the floodgates of heaven to you. And that is intended mm. to remind people of their manna experience in the book of Exodus yeah. when the, store the storehouses of heaven are wow. open. And so what, God, what Malachi is actually saying is bring the tithe to my storehouse so that that food can be used to bless the community as a whole. Mm. So it's this idea of the resources of tithe and offering in Israel not being used to benefit the elites or to be used as it was done in Solomon's time, but it's almost as if Malachi wants us to, to come back to the book of Exodus and say, if you do this, then the, the manna will flow from heaven mm. and everybody will have food to eat. And so I think the one thing, Joey, that always works. Mm. The one thing that uh, we can say, if you do A, you will always get B, mm -hmm. is if as communities we bind together to make sure that the least among us are taken care of, we're always going to experience blessing. Wow. Um, and that, that is, I think, at the heart of what Malachi is trying to say. So it's not just, hey, we want to guilt you into bringing your tithes so that we can pay our mortgage here at the church. Although those things are important. It's, hey, we want to, you to bring your resources uh, because you get to be the manna that flows from heaven mm. to a people living in the desert. Wow, Miguel. Wow, that's, that was masterfully done. I, if, if you didn't catch that, I, I urge you to go back, rewind it, hear that, that section again, because that, that was so powerful how you brought in the context here, because we often read our own context mm -hmm. into this, this passage. But what you're saying is for the original listeners of this message from Malachi, when they heard storehouses, their minds would have immediately gone to, oh, the, the monarchy's storehouses mm -hmm. and how they steal from us. They take all of the resources from us. They tax us and then they take it and they hoard it for themselves and they use it for their own benefit. And then God surprises them by saying, that's not what happens when you give to my store, mm. when you return to my storehouses, right? Because the floodgates get open and then they're poured back into the community. And that's the second part that I, I loved about what you said was that a lot of times we take this to be individual blessing. Like if I give my tithe to God, God will bless me individually. Mm -hmm. But what he is saying here is not individually. It's not an individual blessing. It's a communal blessing. Mm -hmm. He's saying if you as a community give the give give to this um, 
these storehouses. I will bless you communally. And it's for the sake of the community, which is the whole context mm -hmm. of this passage because that's what they weren't doing. Mm. They were hoarding money for themselves and defrauding each other to the point where they are taking advantage of the foreigners, the widows mm -hmm. and the, the orphans, those on the margin of society. And God is saying, don't do that. If you give, if you give communal to me, right. then use this these resources wow. to communally bless the entire. That is so powerful, and that is at the heart of what tithe is. Because what God is saying is not only not only do I just give back. Because you could say, well, then I can just take this tithe and do whatever I want with it. Not only do I give back what you've given to me, God has a, a the ability to open up the storehouses of heaven. And it is like, it is compounded, mm. right? That his resources are added to our resources to bless the entire community. And that is that act of trust, mm. right? Saying, God, I trust you. I trust you to take this and do good with wow. it. Wow. Wow. I trust you to take this and do good with it. Mm. That is so powerfully stated, Joey. If you could have this kind of trust, mm. um, and it's not just with your finances, it's with your life itself. Yes. yes. I trust, I give you this, and I trust that you will do good with it. I think our whole perspective on stewardship would change. Mm -hmm. And I think we would be much more open to have sermon series that are focusing on stewardship, not on the basis of bottom lines, or balance sheets, mm. but on the basis of, like you so masterfully said, trust. Mm. I give you myself, mm. and I trust that you will do good with it. And ultimately, what a privilege it is. Yeah. Because does, God doesn't need my measly whatever to open up the store, yeah. the, the storehouses of heaven. God calls, hum, God cares about humanity so much that he says, I want to partner with you. Mm. And what he's actually partnering with us is in the enterprise of becoming blessings to the world around us. And I think that that just shows again uh, how much God trusts us. <laughs> God is giving us this task that we are sure to mess up. Yeah. And yet he trusts us enough to do that. So. Yeah, it all goes back to trust. Joey, thank you for that last piece. I think, I think it's a perfect place to, to end. Uh, so if you, if you can pray for us. Our good and gracious God, we want to thank you for trusting us. You didn't have to. You didn't have to trust Adam and Eve with the care of this world. You didn't have to trust us with all the different aspects and resources you give to us. Um, but you trust us, and then you invite us to trust you. Mm. It start You start out by trusting us first, and then you invite us to trust you back by returning our tithe. But not just our tithe, but all of the, the resources, all of the time, the energy that you've given to us to steward that properly for the sake yes. of the good of the community. Help us to be faithful to you and to others as you are faithful to us is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we trust that you will have a wonderfully blessed week, and we hope to see you next Sabbath. Mm -hmm.